I'd like us to, I'd like us to turn to Psalm 13, verse uh, verse one. And I just want to talk about the presence of God. And I want to if the Lord allows me to, I want to just speak about three things. The dilemma that people have without without with, with living without the presence of God in their life. Number two, what does it mean that God is present? What does that mean? Like, what does that mean for me practically that God is present? And number three, um, what does it mean to experience the presence of God? What does it mean to experience the presence of God? And I know that we're kind of venturing into a topic that today can seem to be very abstract or very subjective or maybe even very abused. But let's look at uh, Psalm 13, verse 1. And David here is writing in his Psalms. And by the way, the book of Psalms is about um, thoughts that David is having with God and in himself during the trials in his life. God presents us with deep trials in our life so that we are face-to-face with the dark questions that we all have inside of our soul. These dark questions that we want to run away from. These, 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 these things that are in our soul that are just, so, that are just so, so disappointing that we don't want to have them around us. And God puts us face-to-face with them. And the dilemma that we have today is really that we live in a very fast-paced world. And it's just going faster and faster and faster with information, isn't it? How many feel that way? How many feel that information is getting more and more and more? And how, you know, like we, we would be thinking that the information age that we're living in would be actually making a better world, but it's not, is it? It's creating a world that's really broken and kind of corrupt. The more information that's out there. And so yet like we live in this world of information and exchange and and, and, but our need for intimacy is accentuated by the lack of real relationship. You know, Mike and I were talking about this before, um, that relationship really means everything. And when we have relationship, then there's such a sense of satisfaction. But without this relationship, uh, there's a growing sense of loneliness. I think Texas, just me as an outsider, as a Yankee, and I could be wrong, you know, the Lone Star State, just... I just think that with the Texan history here, and it's got an amazing history. This is a cool place to live. I mean, the, the state of Texas actually was a country. What country becomes a state of the union? That's amazing, huh? And just like you have these settlers that are coming in. You guys know history way better than I do in Texas. But you have these settlers moving in, and it's just a very wild place. Indians and just, just a hostile environment, wilderness, wild animals, and craziness going on. And then people are moving in and, and they're, they're just creating these settlements and these, uh, these, these farms. And they're just working like from scratch, from zero. People are coming from all over the United States and they're coming to Texas. And, and you know, and I heard the story that, um, you know, when there were creditors that were trying to collect money from individuals and they'd run off to Texas, they put in their accounting ledger, gone to Texas. You know that, right? As you have these people going to Texas and they're just kind of trying to put their life together and, and they're really working hard and it just creates this thing. And by the way, decisions that your parents and that we've made in our life affects our DNA. And that's what we pass on to our kids. So we, there's a generation of, of people growing up in Texas that are, number one, extremely hard workers. I mean, gr- hard workers, the, 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 the work ethic here is amazing. Number two, family values, because that's what a lot of people only had. They just had family. They lived at great distances, and family was really everything. And then number three, self-reliance. Self-reliance. The lone star state, right? I got it. Pull myself up my own, my, my own bootstraps. I don't know if that's from Texas or not. But it's like, this is a spirit, and it's actually an American spirit. Um, wait, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. 
And I think that when we have this kind of mindset, the result can very easily be the, resu the results of self-reliance, and that's loneliness. Loneliness. And I think that's the dilemma that we live in. And we've become so comfortably accustomed to meeting just uh, at an arid and whole, a hollow place, like a hollow place to exchange something. And this is what's happening on internet. Like you can hook up with somebody and have this physical exchange with them and then it's over and then it, people walk away from that. And you know, it's like, that is never fulfilling. That's just, that only just makes the, the whole bigger in a person's life. That just doesn't work because we were not made for that. We're body, soul, and spirit. I want to get that in a second. But we've created this and, and it's like we... We have been made for intimacy with God. And there's this unseen heart cry that is crying out inside of us, men as well, <laughs> for intimacy and meaningful relationships. We crave that, don't we? We crave that. Every one of us in this room craves it, no matter what our upbringing is or not. And so we really long for presence. And that's why when we come into the church, when we come into the body of Christ... <clears throat> When we see Jesus the way he was with his disciples, he was around 24-7. He was present at all times, right? God with the children of Israel as they're going through the, the desert. God is with them by day. God is with them by night. By day, by the pillar of the cloud and by fire at night. The cloud speaks of faith. Clear day, just a lot of obscurity in my life. Everything seems clear, but there's a lot of obscurity. But I'm just going to follow that cloud of the presence of God. And at night, the night seasons in our life, when everything seems black, <clears throat> God is there. And it's bright fire. It's bright fire. And so Jesus represents presence, the presence of God. When we talk about presence, we're talking about something that, that, that is more than just an abstract feeling. It's more than just a sense of a presence. A.W. Tozer said it this way, when we sing... This old song, Draw Me Nearer, Nearer, Blessed Lord. It's an old hymn. I don't know if anybody else knows that. These old hymns we just don't sing anymore, you know? Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. We are not thinking of the nearness of place. All right? We're not thinking, Lord, just, I want to be right next to your throne. That's what the disciples were thinking. But the nearness of relationship. For it is increasing, for it is for increasing degrees of awareness that we pray. For a more perfect consciousness of the divine presence. I love this. We never need to shout across the spaces to an absent God. You know, remember the prophets of Baal trying to call down fire, to burn up the sacrifice. They're screaming out across the long spaces to an absent God. And Elijah says that. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's out playing. Maybe he's taking a nap, you know, and he's kind of mocking them. And I think that we can mock other people's gods because they are so powerless and he said, we never need to shout across the spaces to an absent God. He is near. Listen to this. Isn't this a point I want to make? He is near to our own soul. He is near to your soul. Closer than our most secret thoughts. We got secret thoughts today? <laughs> we do, don't we? And these secret thoughts are like, they're so close to us. It's like, I never was good at card games or board games at all. And I know during a card game, <clears throat> you're hiding your cards to your chest, right? It's like the closer you can get them to your chest. You just don't want people to see what you got in your hand. I think that's what our thought life is, too. We don't want people to know, what am I really thinking? Because we're afraid we're going to be judged, or we're going to be cast out, or we're going to be looked down upon, because we really seek approval, every one of us. But God is closer to that. How about sin? Like, things in our life that we're just so, oh, just, man, I, God is closer to us than our sin is. 
How about this? God is closer to you than what you feel in your physiological nervous system. I think addicts, when they're coming off of their, their, their drugs or whatever they're addicted to, when it happens is that they literally, literally have a physiological response in their nervous system and in their blood. That is just their physical body is not only just their mind, but their physical body is craving this thing. God is closer to you than that. God is closer to, to us, all of that. So what is near? So I love this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and so Paul says this to the Corinthian church, who is a very dysfunctional church, had a lot of issues, extremely wealthy and very gifted church, but it was very dysfunctional. And it was kind of a big church. It was on the port. And he says to this in the second chapter of the first letter that he writes to this church that's in trouble. The first chapter, he's just writing like who they are and, and things that are like who he is and and he's covering these things. But then chapter two, he gets right to the meat of the matter. And he says, for who among men knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? There's something inside of you that knows you better than anybody else. And there's something inside of you that knows you better than you know yourself. It's more than what you're aware of. It's more than what we can assess ourselves. There's, there's something in us that knows better that knows the depths of the things that you and I wrestle with in our unconscious and our subconscious mind. I, I don't want to lose you guys here. Um, I, so the mind has three levels, right? Okay, and it has consciousness. And if you're a psychologist here, forgive me if it's not exactly the way you learned it, but there's consciousness, I'm aware. I'm aware I'm standing, I'm aware the weather's nice outside. Then there's this, un, there's this, uh, un, there's this subconscious. And this subconscious is like, if you take your hand and you put in a brook, and you get it just under the water level, you still, you still, you still see your hand, right? That, that's consciousness. Some consciousness, when you go a little bit farther, and because of the water is maybe a little murky, you don't see your hand so well, and maybe you don't see it all, okay? But the unconscious is when you go underneath the, 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 the dirt in the water, and you just, it's underneath there, and you don't see anything. That's, that's the unconscious. And that's where a lot of things reside, wounds and things that happen, things that we have, that we, have a, um, that we have received over the years, things that we don't even know that's there. And with that situation, with our, with our state before God, we don't know how to fix ourselves, and we don't even know ourselves. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says this, that the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? There are levels of wickedness in the best person in this room. That we can't even imagine. In my own heart too. That if you gave us the right circumstances. The right situation. Without the grace and the presence. And the promises and the principles of the Bible. We don't know what we would do. We'd be surprised what we would do. So we should never judge people. Because we've never been in their place. But there's part of us that just doesn't understand us. But guess what? That's okay. Because we're not called to understand ourselves. By the way. Don't even try to understand yourself. Don't, don't even like look at yourself. Don't understand. Don't try to wait. Like it says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it says that the way of a man is not in himself. So like, don't worry about where you're going. And like when you're walking on the water, like Peter, don't get up. Just like, what is going on? I don't understand. That's okay. And the more sometimes we don't understand our life probably is more of a sign that God is in control. <laughs> because if you leave it up to us to make our own decisions, we're going to be we're going to be so out there and we're going to be so deceived. But there's a part of us that just doesn't know. And there's a, there's a, part, of a, there's a part of you that I could never know as your pastor <clears throat> or anybody else, your spouse, your mate. And I think there's things about you and I that, that if we were to be in a relationship and we're maybe a sensitive person and, and, 
And, and we really crave people to know us deeply and to understand how I feel and what this, how this is impacting me. And, and like nobody really knows how I truly feel. Exactly. Nobody knows how you truly actually feel. And that's good. You know why? Because no one would know what to do with that information. None of us know, would know what to do with that, right? But God knows. God knows what's going on in your spirit. God knows what's going on in your heart. One of the beautiful things that I like to study in the book of Luke is how Jesus goes and he's with his father. And that's all it says on the mountain. And the disciples are writing and like, he would go up there. He'd be up there all night. We had no idea what he was doing. But he's fellowshipping with the father. There's this intimacy with God. When you and I go deep with God and we say, I appreciate the socialness. I appreciate the, the exteriors, Right. But I've got to have something deeper. I've got to have something that's just deeper. I've got to have an anchor in my soul. I've got to have some kind of a depth. This is why people go to psychologists. This is why people go to psychics to have their palms read. This is why people just have these crazy relationships. You know why? Because there's something inside of a person that yearns to be understood that no one could ever understand. And for me to put that pressure on someone that understands me truly would cause a lot of conflict. So what we do is we go to God. We go to God. We just get on our knees and we just... Just pour our heart out to the Lord. And David did this. I, I hope and I pray that you and I, that we could as a church, discover what a deep relationship with God looks like. Knowledge is surface. Knowledge is great. It's surface. Anything that I know that I don't mix faith with and obey by faith is not mine. It's just information, right? Like, okay, I know China exists. I know what their, their currency is. But unless I go there and actually take the currency and spend it and buy something, I don't really know what it is. And so there's a part of us that does not, that, that no one can know except for the Spirit of God, and no one can comfort except for the Spirit of God, and that no one could talk to except for the Spirit of God. No psychic, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, nothing. So nearness, when we talk about nearness, nearness of God, we're talking about something else. And I want to start talking about this in practicality. Sentences like, I'm thinking about you. You ever get a text that says, I'm thinking about you? Or I'm praying for you. Maybe you're on the other side of the world and you're going through a hard time. And you get a text. Hey, you came across my mind today. I'm praying for you. Doesn't it make that person feel like they're right there? Doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't it? Doesn't it speak to you? In the world before cell phones and text messages, when the dinosaurs were still roaming the earth, we would send a letter. I sent a letter. I would send a letter to my pastor back in Baltimore. He, he went home to be with the Lord. I'd write him a letter, and I just, you know, it's just this young missionary just pouring my whole heart out, like all these, you know, it's like, you know, and he would always write me back. He would always write me a personal letter. It was a church of like 3,000 people, and he would always write me back. And I was just, you know, I was like nobody. I wasn't like a leader in the church or anything. And you know something, when I get that letter from my pastor like three weeks later, because of the mail in Ukraine, I would read it, and it would be in my Bible, and I would think, you know, my pastor's so far away, but he's right here with me. He's right here, and he knows and he knows where I'm at. I would come home and I'd go to convention. Every summer we have a convention with our church. And we're con- by the way, we're connected with that church in Baltimore, not because of a denominational structure, because of love and relationship. These are people that poured into my life since I was 11 years old, you know? And so that's why I love going there. And, you know, I would go to, I'd go to these com- conferences and there'd be like thousands of people there. And somehow, you know, this pastor had this gift. He just, he was so gifted. He had like, Gift of knowledge, gift of wisdom. He had just gift of insight. And I, I never had like long conversations with him. You know, I never had a counseling meeting where I make an appointment, sit down with him. And, 
Because somehow every time we crossed paths, and the only times we really crossed paths, is going to sound funny, is when we were in the men's room. <laughs> We'd be in there washing hands or something, you know? And he'd come in and he'd just say, hey, Chris, how you doing? Good pastor, you know? And, and he would always have a word in season for me. I was like, how does he know what's in my, how does he know what I'm thinking about? You know why? Because love, there's no distance in love. You could be on the other side of the world. If you study quantum physics, which I like to do, I like to think about it, you understand that in quantum physics, it's just a whole other ballgame. There's no time and space. There's no distance. What, one, what something does here, light years away affects what light years away happens. It, it's, it's a fact. It's, it's been proven. Light, and does, light does that. And so there's, nearness is not like, nearness is not defined in proximity. Oh, I need to be near you. You know, I'm needy and I need to be, which is I understand that. Babies are like that. Kids are like that. My son's like that. Like, and that's Okay. But, but, but nearness is not proximity. You know what it is? It's in the thoughts. Let me explain what I mean by that. And this just dawned on me this morning when I was praying. You know, Psalm 139 says this in verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. David is saying this to God. My frame, my structure. And he's talking about when he was in his mother's womb. When I was, when I was created secretly and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my embryo and in your book they were all written. Days fashioned for me when there was not one of them. Verse 17, and to me, how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is their sum. How precious is God's thoughts towards us today. If we were to think, you know, God's thoughts to us. What are God's thoughts to us? When we begin to meditate on what the word of God says. And how do we know God's thoughts? The Bible. <laughs> being around other people. Getting discipled in the body of Christ. Being around people that have just think with God. And that's what, our, that's what the theme is for our Bible school really. Is learning how to think with God. Just think what God's thoughts are towards you. When we are around somebody and we don't know what their thoughts are. It's a very insecure environment, isn't it? There's like, we just don't know. Like, should I be, how should I behave? How should I act? How should I talk? But when we're around someone that we know their thoughts towards us then we can experience who they are and we can experience the, the, their, their principles, their convictions, and we can, under, we can experience who they are in our, in our heart. Nearness is not something where I need to be with somebody physically uh, and, 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 and even intimately. And sex is never going to bring me that intimacy that I need, that I need as a human being. It's something that um, married people can enjoy. But you know something, is, there's something that's even deeper than that, and that's intimacy with God. You can sit down with your spouse and you can talk about things that stir her spirit and your spirit. And that's intimacy that you can't experience on any other level in a marriage or in a friendship or in a church. When you and I lose that spiritual connection, that spiritual fellowship, that spiritual stirring of one another's hearts, that's that spiritual renewal in fellowship. When we lose that relationships begin to dissipate, they begin to slowly fall apart, unravel. That's what that third chord is in a marriage. Now, if you're married to somebody that's not really a believer, that's not necessarily someone that is maybe walking with the Lord or doesn't know the Lord, then what is, what, what the, you know what you can do? You can begin to cultivate in that person who they are and how God sees them, and you can start speaking to their spirit. That's what my mom did with my dad. He was an unbeliever. And she just began to speak to him who he was in Christ. And I don't know how she knew. She was his wife. So she knew from God who he was supposed to be in Christ. And so my mom began to reflect to him 
who she understood him to be in Christ. And it wasn't judgmental. It wasn't like, you got to be like this and I'll love you more. It's just, this is who you are. And I love you because of this. And when we speak to somebody to their spirit, we're speaking into them the nearness of God. We're speaking into them the presence of God. When we speak to somebody's thoughts, uh, when we speak to someone about the thoughts of God and we speak to their spirit, then we, then we are imparting to them a real true present God. God is truly present. Do you understand? I think that when we look at civilizations in the old, in ancient times, and the structures that they would build that were always going up, it's obvious that man had a disconnection from their creator. They were trying to ascend. And I think when we understand that, understand the thoughts of God's towards us, and we begin to understand who he is, and we begin to understand his presence. A verse that I like to think of in prayer often is Psalm 40, verse 17. Psalm 40, verse 17, and David says this, I am needy. I am needy, and the Lord takes thought and plans for me. That's what the Amplified says. Ever go to God and say, God, I'm needy. <laughs> I'm needy. Lord, I'm just needy. I need, I just need love. I just need some, I need some affirmation. I need some validation. Lord, I need some strength. I need some power. I need something in my life that is something more than just, than just this day-to-day life. I need you. And then, you know what it says here? It says that the Lord takes thought and plans for me. And when we think that way, for me, that's what is the switch for me to understand the presence of God in my life, the presence of God in my prayer life. You know, we look at people, and I, I go to HEB, and there's this magazine stand by the checkout counter, and there's this one magazine, I don't, I, think, I don't know if it's Time or who it is, but they've got Anne Frank in there. You know, they're doing a thing on Anne Frank. The world just has this fascination with people that have content, Mother Teresa. Even people that have content that we wouldn't necessarily agree with, there's this fascination. An empty world has fascination with people that have spiritual content. When you live in spiritual content in your life, when there's something about you that people don't know, it's not that you're doing something illegal or illicit, but you're, you're, there's a part of your life that people don't know about, and that's your walk with God. There's kind of this mysterious, not mysterious, but unknown part of your life. Like Jesus going to the mountain and the disciples are like, yeah, he went up there and he was there all night. You had no idea what he was doing. When there's a part of your life that's like that, it makes you a different person. It leads you. It, it makes you a person that, that knows God, that, that has something in your life that's deeper than what you're feeling. It's deeper than what you're thinking. And it's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Um, let me just say this. And, and just, this is kind of like a teaching time. Um, what we do is we teach here, maybe you've heard us teach this, that we are made up of three parts. Physical body, obviously. We have a physical body. And that physical body is aware of the environment around us. It's hot, if it's cold, if it's a comfortable seat, not a comfortable seat, um, pain, pleasure. It's our physical body. And we're very aware of the, of the 3D world that we're living in. There's another part of us that's called the soul. And this is the unseen part of us. This is our personality. This is our preferences. This is our belief system. Uh, this is our emotions. This is our thinking process. It kind of makes up who we are. Our physical body is aware of only one thing, the world around it. It's not aware of God, naturally. Number two, our soul is aware of itself. It doesn't really care so much about the world. Maybe it's not so, it's very occupied in itself. What am I thinking? How do I feel? And this is soulishness. And David talks to his soul in the Bible. He talks to his soul in the book of Psalms. He says, oh soul, why art thou cast down? He's speaking to his soul. But there's something even deeper in us that's deeper than our body, our soul. But it's, but it's is, is our spirit. And I think that it's very easy for us to live in our Christianity in the soulish part. 
where we're living what I feel. And this is what immature Christianity is. I'm living in what I feel, my opinions, my own personal um, standards and, 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 and principles that are not even biblical, but they're just what I grew up with. I'm a very principled person, maybe. And that can be just a very soulish person. And the soulish part of us is actually drawn to the earth. It's drawn to the dust. That's what David said. My soul cleaves to the earth, right? You know, that part of us that, is, that has just an incredible capacity for God, but it's self-aware. So there's a part of us that needs to go. And that's the part where we feel. And that's the part where we can experience internal pain. And sometimes that feels so close to us that we can't get over it. How many times have you talked to somebody and they just say, well, they've hurt me so bad, I can't even ever forget it. Soulish. Soulish. I get it. I get it. We've been there. And it's, I mean, it's a trial. I don't make light of these trials. I don't make light of people's suffering. But you know something? We've got to go deeper. Because if we don't go deeper, then our soul is going to just take us out. It's going to just take us in deception because it doesn't know the way that it takes. Are you following me? And then there's a part of us that's called the spirit. And that's the part of us that's God aware. It's God conscious. It's not world conscious. It's not self-conscious. But it's just aware of God. It's this window to God. It's this frequency. It's like this radio. Like, it's like a station where I can tune into that station and hear from God. Through the Bible. Through prayer. Through body fellowship. And that part of us is that part that knows, okay? The soul is that part of us that feels, right? But that part of our, us is our spirit is the part of us that knows. And if you can learn something in your spirit, you're never going to forget. That's why you and I can remember Bible verses years and years and years later. Because it landed in your spirit. How do things get in your spirit? Just mix faith with it. You hear the Bible and it's like, okay, Lord, I don't understand. I don't have strength. But I just trust that that's true. Lord, I'm going to believe that you're going to do that. And when we mix faith with what we know, what happens? God moves and things, eternal things begin to happen in our life. And we, see the, we see, begin to see the hand of God move in our life. And we don't have to try to do anything. Because we're masters at trying to do our own thing and just messing it up and just making it so miserable. And, 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 leaving, and tying God's hands. When we begin to understand, when we begin to understand that we have a spirit. And this spirit knows God. And this spirit is witnessing with the Holy, the spirit, Holy Spirit. is witnessing with our spirit, our identity. Isn't that beautiful? That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in Romans chapter 8, witnesses with your spirit that you are a son of God. And that's where true identity comes in a believer's life. When we can, get to, we can begin to hear from God. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. A couple of verses earlier than what we just read in verse 11, it says this. That... Eye has not heard, I mean, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man. Meaning, it hasn't entered into the soul. What God has prepared for you that love him. And what does it mean to love God? You may be here, well, I don't love God. I don't love God. I don't love God the way I should love God. Well, my, my parents told me that I don't love God. My, you know, my, my previous church told me I don't love God. You know, and, and I don't think I love God. And my dog tells me I don't love God. Everybody tells me I don't love God. And when we think this way, this, this is what we're thinking. We're beginning to assume something about biblical truth that we don't know. What does it mean to love God? Who loved us first? Go ahead, just you can talk. It's fine. Who loved us first? God, right? God loved us first. First John chapter 1, right? We, he has first loved us. We call that first love. And when we understand that God first loved us, the pressure's off. Because we didn't, in Romans chapter 5, it says three things. When you were an enemy of God, 
when you were a sinner, and when you were without strength, what does it say? Christ died for us. Like how much, how much deeper can this love go? Like how much more can God do in our inability to love God or even to know ourselves? And when we understand that God first loves us, what does it mean to love God? I don't love, there's nothing in me that can love God except for the Holy Spirit, except for God in me that can love God, Jesus in me. Does that make sense? Sometimes people say, sometimes I'll get a text, I don't love God enough. And I'll just, depending on my relationship, and I don't want to be snarky or, or arrogant or flippant with people, I'll just say, none of us love God the way we should. That's why he had to love us first. You know what loving God means? It means I'm just loving God back with the love he gave me. I say, you know what? God, when I didn't love you, you love me. And I just receive that. I mix faith with it. I take it. I'm going to mix faith with that. And I'm going to just reflect that back to you. God, I'm going to give back to you the love that you gave me. And that was the conversation that Jesus had with Peter in John 21. Remember that conversation? Peter, do you love me? Jesus is using this word agape, like, right? You, do, you love, do you unconditionally love me? And would you go, you know, and Jesus, Peter is saying this before he's crucified, before Jesus is crucified. Peter's like, I will go to death for you, right? I will never, no, never, no, leave, never forsake or leave you. And only God can say that. And Peter's saying that to Jesus. And Jesus had to correct him and say, I appreciate your sincerity, but trials and circumstances are going to have to show you that your love is not enough. And so, so Peter gets that clear. He denies Christ three times. Peter leaves. He goes back to his old, his old career. By the way, whenever we backslide, we're just going to go back to the thing we know. And so Peter's out there. He's, he's fishing in the lake. Jesus does a miracle. Peter's back. He recognizes Jesus is alive. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Agape. Peter says, I phileo, meaning I like you. I think you're cool. Uh, we have some common interests. I think you're, you know, I appreciate you. That's phileo. And then the second time, Jesus says, hey, do you agape me? Peter's like, all I got is phileo, just human love. This is all I got. And Jesus was trying to drill down something into Peter's. And then, and then he says again to Peter, do you love me? And then Peter gets it. Peter understands that I don't love Jesus the way Jesus loves me. And then Jesus gives him a calling. Feed my sheep. In the time that we understand that there's nothing in us that loves God the way it should. And we get to a place of just deep humility. And we just say, God, here I am. Just as I am. You know, we got to sing that song one time. Just as I am, without one plea, <laughs> got nothing to show you, God. And when that happens, the compassion of God rains down on us. He says, that's what I'm looking for, and that's humility. Because you're not trying to build some edifice, Christian edifice in your life for me. And, and now, now, now I can come down and dwell in that person's life. It says in the book of Isaiah, with whom will the Lord dwell, right? That verse, with whom will the Lord be with, right? Him that is what? Two things, right? He that is what? Broken, um, this is King James, broken and what? Contrite heart. Contrite heart means just like, there's no loftiness here. It is what it is. God, here I am. That's just contrite. It's like, Lord, I, no presumption here. I'm just showing up. And when, when we have that attitude, when we understand that God loves us in our, just our deep brokenness, in our, in, our own, um, in our own weakness, and we don't dwell there, but we're looking to God, you know what happens? We begin to experience the presence of God. I'm going to close with this. For there to be intimacy that we so deeply desire, there must be first the drilling down through the stone of the physical world, consciousness tunneling deeper still 
through the soulish self-consciousness until there is a breaking through to that spirit inside of us. God is trying to pierce through all that stuff. That could take decades. With Moses, it was how many, what, 40 years in the desert? With Paul, it was how many years? You know, backside of the desert, three years. Um, Abraham, how many years? 15 years. It takes time. And when God gets through that, when he breaks through, he, gets, he peels back all the layers of the onion. He discovers inside there's this little frightened person that is wanting the love of God. And this is why God causes trials and difficulties. And this is really an important point I want to finish up with. For us to, con- to, for us to confront the inner darkness we are running to from every day, God has, to, God has to challenge us, bring that up, and then he has to tell us, I love you, I love you, I love you, as we are just acting out all the darkness in our soul. And when we can secure in that darkness and we get to be secure in the love of God in that place in Psalm 139, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there with me. Does God condone sin? Of course he doesn't. Because sin destroys them. That's why God hates sin. Because it just destroys people. It destroys your soul. It destroys your body. It just wrecks us psychologically. It wrecks our soul. But you know something? When we are just in the darkest place in our life, practice the presence of God. And I'm going to just wrap it up with this. There was a man by the name of Brother Lawrence. I think it was in the 1500s. Could be wrong. Just a priest. Just a monk in, in, the, in, the, in his monastery. And he was assigned to wash dishes. And... He learned how to practice God's presence as he was washing dishes. I used to be a janitor in a Bible school I went to for several years. And I would just clean all night, just mop and sweep the floor. I'd be thinking, I, like, I thought I was here to learn the Bible and go into missions and nope, mop the floor. And I just learned, I, I learned how to practice the presence of God in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning. Just nobody's there, just nothing. No cars, no nothing. We were in Western Massachusetts in Bible college, just, just mopping. And just, you know, there would be times where I just start thinking about the, the verse would come back to my mind. I'd begin to think about that verse and meditate on that verse. And then the presence of God would just come into that place where I was. And I remember there would be times I'd just get on my knees next to my bucket and just smelling that chemical in that bucket. <laughs> the presence of God was in the room with me. I just had this sense that God's hand was on my life. I'm not, you know. You know, not that I was something great, but I just sensed that the gracious hand of God was on my life. I remember walking home from high school, just, just, <laughs> high school was not a good time in my life at all. And I just remember at the age of 17, I was just going nowhere, I was flunking out of everything, just super withdrawn, just a very dark world of whatever in my mind. And I remember like going on a mission trip, and it just gave me such a vision for my life. One week with a guy who didn't even know what he was doing. And I was at visiting one of our churches in Sweden. And I remember seeing evangelism. I was seeing the ministry on the street, being at these Christian cafes and just watching people get saved. And, and just, I don't know what happened. Something, the Lord touched my heart. And I came back from, I came back from my senior year and just it was absolutely changed. Something changed me. It was the call of God in my life. I remember getting on the plane, flying back from Sweden, um, just being so overcome with just all these emotions and everything. And and I remember the, the, the Lord spoke to me these verses, these words, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And that's Matthew chapter four. So I found it in my Bible and I'm reading this verse over and over and over. And I understood the Lord is presence in my life through his calling. And when we hear the Lord speak to us through the word, we experience his presence. And you know what? I remember walking home from high school every night because I, I had to take night classes just to graduate. 
And I remember just walking home, you know, up in Dover, New Hampshire, just walking home every night. It was about a 40-minute walk. And it was probably like 8, 8.30 at night. And I'm just walking. And I just remember the, just walking and sensing the presence of God in me, not understanding what's going on. Like, I just sense the presence, not an evil, like an evil maligning presence and not a presence that was harmful, but just a presence that was in my life to do good. And, and I remember when I first met my wife the first time, God gave me that verse in Nehemiah chapter 2 where it says that, that the good hand of the Lord is upon me. And I want to tell you today, guys, and if there's only one thing you remember from this, this service today, God's hand is on your life. It is. I want to tell you, God's hand is on your life. No matter what is going on in your life, God's hand is on you. And you have an eternal purpose. And to the measure that we mix faith with that, to the measure that we say yes to that, no matter what's going on in relationships or how good or how good, how good or how bad we're doing, to the measure we understand that the hand of God is upon us, that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us, is the measure that we're going to experience the presence of God in our life. And the disciples, when they met the Pharisees, they knew that they had been with Jesus. How did they know? Because they were mixing faith with what Jesus was saying. How do we experience the presence of God in our life? It's not some mystical thing that we've got to get into a trance-like state to experience in a meditative vegetative state, but it's, it's something that we mix faith with the promises. And the Rima comes in, and the Lord says, that's what that means for you. And I'm going to do great things in your life, and I'm going to lead you, I'm going to guide you. And there's that part of us, the voice of God, that's speaking to a part of us that nobody has ever talked to before. And that's what Nathaniel said. How, who is this man who can talk to me like this? Jesus says to Nathaniel, Here's Nathaniel. Uh, he's a man. He's, a, he's blessed and without guile. And then Nathaniel's like this kind of, I, I think he's kind of maybe, maybe a dark character, just kind of, you know, closed, just kind of sarcastic, jaded. And he goes, well, who are you? How do you know what I'm thinking, Jesus? I saw you under the tree. And we don't know what was happening under the tree, whether it was a great thing or not a great thing. But Peter, but, but, but Jesus says to Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree. And that spoke to Nathaniel. Why? Because Jesus speaks to the part of us that nobody knows, that nobody can understand, and that nobody can counsel. And that's the word of God. They go deep. Romans chapter 10 says that the word of God is nigh unto us, near. Near into, it's in our mouth. What does that mean? We're confessing it. I believe it shall be as God has said, right? Remember last summer? Kind of a hard time for us, me personally, you know, like, (laughs) we just didn't know, we're coming out of COVID. We didn't know what was going to happen with our church and meeting in this kind of a, random place and you know and I just didn't and I just began to think I believe I shall see the good the goodness of God in the land of the living and then somebody showed us that song goodness of God and I said that's for us we're gonna sing that song every day you know I shall believe that the good and I shall not David said I shall not die but I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living and you know something when we take the promises of God we say yes God by the grace of God that's for me I believe help my unbelief and the Lord says I will do great things. I will ask and it shall be given unto you. Ask of me for the nations. Ask for me for Magnolia. Lord, give us Magnolia. Who are you guys to talk like that? I don't know the Bible says us to do that. Lord, give me this. Lord, that I would be a business person that would just reflect Christ in my business. That I would be sharing Christ. That I would have godly, I would have integrity. And by the way, integrity, a Baptist pastor said this in Northwest Houston. He just said it one time. I'll never forget it. He said this. He said, integrity is living out your identity in Christ. What's integrity mean? It's just character, virtue. It's, you know, integrity means that I'm walking out who I am in Christ. That's integrity. 
walk through it, walk it out, walk it out with. And we can know God's thoughts from his logos in every detail of our life, every trial, every success. And we will never be alone or in despair. Do you experience anxiety? Do you experience mental conflict? Do you experience, there's just a high level of mental illness these days. I don't know what it is. I think it's technology and all this information is breaking, making, just breaking people's brains. Live in the presence of Christ. Live in the presence of the promises. And by the way, what's your take home? I can preach like this every Sunday, but you need to go home, open your Bible. You need to open it. You need to read these verses and say, Lord, this is what I heard. What does it mean to me? What do you want to say to me? And that's Acts 17, verse 11. And when we do that, we're walking in the presence of God. And we're just going to be, and just that inner need is going to be, is going to be fulfilled. And we're not going to be looking around for other things to fill in. Amen. Amen. Praise God.